0: Welcome to episode 40 of Design Edu Today, the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary, screen-based, interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. In this episode, we will be discussing what makes user experience design different from interactive design. We will also discuss the user experience design process and how it fits into the overall design process. We finish off the conversation by talking about what user experience design principles design educators should be teaching to interactive designers. Today's guest is Ann Peterson, Director of User Experience at FastBot. She brings over a dozen years of experience creating holistic strategies, that center the experiences of people who need technology to work for their benefit. Anne's mission is to improve lives in large and small ways via beautiful, understandable, and sustainable digital products. Her work spans user research, roadmaps, content strategy, and facilitating collaborative workshops with clients. Her experience and passion are in higher education and nonprofit sectors, but Anne has a breadth of knowledge from work with past clients in the insurance, risk information systems, and accounting industries. She's been an in-house at universities like Penn State and University of Illinois at Chicago, as well as within agencies and consultancies like Lipman, Hearn, and right Point. Anne also helped Bring a hardware product to life that has been available in the Apple Store, the Nova Flash. Anne is proud to serve on High Ed Webb's annual conference committee and to have been a past president of Chicago Nerd Social Club and Pumping Station One. Fluent in emoji and Danish, you'll find her on almost every social network interpreting UX and humanity via entertaining gifts. All right. Welcome, Anne. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Before I get into specific questions, I want to let the listeners know the impetus for this and future episodes. During the past 39 episodes, I have been focusing on what I consider to be the nuts and bolts of what it takes to be a successful visual designer today. However, I've touched on a lot of other professions to determine for myself what is the ideal balance of those professions to make a great visual designer. There is one profession in particular that comes up on a regular basis that I want to explore further And that's user experience design. I want to explore this job title more because it's really hard one to consist consistently get a definition for all the UX job descriptions I've seen range wildly from a visual designer who researches the end user before designing to researchers who hand off their findings to information architects and visual designers so this leads into my first question for ann what is your personal definition of user experience
1: so this is an interesting question and one that comes up often since there is so little consistency out there uh, and in some cases as you said there's super wildly differing uh, definitions Now some of that is, I think, kind of an indication of um, how young the industry is, Uh, it's still evolving. We're still kind of feeling out the edges of it. And I would also say that it's become so valuable in so many ways that a lot of other disciplines really want to get into it, kind of like edge into that space, so I totally understand that. But to me, user experience is a set of activities and philosophies not to muddy the waters, but I might even call it a strategy that ensures that users' needs are understood, addressed, and ideally surpassed. So in that relatively simple definition, that UX can still kind of encompass many other disciplines and many other disciplines can encompass UX. So these can be things like information architecture, user research, interaction design, usability testing, psychology, content strategy, and yes, absolutely visual design. So all this said, UX is not based on opinion. Asking something like, do you like this? Is super different than, does this design accomplish its goals? Even when we do what we call heuristic evaluation of sites, um, that is when a UX practitioner sits down and combs through a site to identify potential usability problems, that is also not opinion. We have heuristics to measure against, including how findable and clear those items are, all the way to how controllable and or valuable they might be if we're using, uh, say, Abby Covert's set of heuristics as an example.
0: Which, so there's more, um, what was that set of heuristic, what, uh, Abby, you just said? Mm-hmm. Abby Covert. What is, what is that? particular, like, is this for, like, the listener so I can we can go back and Google that? Yeah, you <laughs> totally can. there other different kinds? Uh-huh.
1: So Abby Covert's set of heuristics uh, are information architecture heuristics. But you can literally go to Wikipedia, look up heuristic evaluation, and get a list of different varieties of heuristics. That could be Jacob Nielsen's. That could be Abby Covert's. Uh, that could be, there's a Wittgenstein, I'm gonna blank on it, uh, let's see. Gerhardt Powells, Weinshank and Barker, there are a lot of them out there. Abby Covert's is the most modern, Jacob Nielsen's is probably the most referenced.
0: Okay, so the way you, then using that definition of user experience, um, can so uh, I'll just ask this original question, then I'll just re- remember to loop back. So can you pick a typical web project, um, and describe how you and the UX team at FastSpot um, fit into that project from start to finish? So the UX team, how do they fit into the mm-hmm. pig picture?
1: Absolutely. And let me back up a second and say, well, there's an ideal, there's yeah. no typical quote okay. unquote air quotes. I'm doing air quotes, but over here, um, Typical doesn't really exist. That said, I'll try to reference typical as, here's what would happen ideally. Okay. So ideally, a project would start when a client says, okay, we've agreed upon what we wanna cover, let's start now. Starting now would include going to all of the stakeholders of the project, that is, folks who have content on the website and who own that content, people who work with the CMS, the content management system, and users. Um, And talking directly to users in the very beginning is super important, and talking to all of them. Now that could be through interviews, that can be through workshops, uh, that could be through card sorts, um, that can be through journey mapping. There's a lot of different exercises you can do up front as part of what we call user research. So, that's discovering all of the needs that the business has, the organization itself, and all of the needs that the users have for whatever this website's going to be. Um, And I say, you know, I say website, it could be an app, it could be an intranet, it could be a product, it might be any of these things. But the process is usually about the same. Once you finish all of that research, you start setting up what we call a strategy. So a strategy includes um, what we're gonna tackle, how we're gonna tackle it, and the tactics we're going to use to accomplish it. That is a really super simplistic way of putting it, but there we are. This is all the UX team thus far for us here at FastBot. At different companies that I've worked at, different other parts of the organization have dipped in and out, and that includes uh, folks like business analysts, uh, folks who specialize in information architecture, which is the part of the next phase. So the information architecture helps figure out the sitemap, that is the words that are gonna be on the website to help you navigate to where you need to go. Uh, That produces kind of the the very basic, really super skeletal structure of the site. And then you start deciding on what your main uh, templates might be, uh, what your homepage is gonna contain, and that leads into wireframes. So for us, that also includes a concept brief. So the concept brief also, and a creative brief, which isn't confusing at all for us, um, but for some clients that is having those two terms running around does get a little confusing. So the creative brief is basically what contains our strategy which I spoke about earlier. It also contains some of the information like uh, how we're going to elucidate this brand So voice and tone, look and feel, those sorts of things are in that document. The concept brief starts kind of sketching out what the homepage is gonna look like and really gives a feel for the creative direction that homepage is going in. After uh, the concept brief, we end up doing wireframes and those wireframes will help elucidate further with some content, with some functionality in it, Uh, what those concept briefs are gonna then look like in design. We also do what we call functional requirements. And those are wireframes of the templates we've decided upon are the most important parts of the site uh, that a user is going to need. Those landing pages, um, sometimes audience specific landing pages or landing pages within the first two levels of the navigation, those are often the pieces that we concentrate on at that point. And those go really into depth, not only what those pieces are going to be doing, but where they're getting that data from. So that helps bridge the gap between the client side, understanding what content needs to be where, and internally for our developers to understand where they're gonna get that data from. Then we move into visual design, which is where the UX team tends to kind of Peter out a little bit. Okay. I don't want to say Peter out. We're still involved. Um, we do still provide things like a content strategy, sometimes some SEO recommendations, things like that down the line. Um, but the main bulk of our work, I think, is pretty much done by that point.
0: All right. So do you then so when you're your your further involvement, so you hand off this body of research to the visual designers.
1: I try not to say handoff just because we try to be a little more iterative than that. But But, I mean,
0: so at that point you give them, this is the basis of your work. So like, then do you go back and check in? It's like, Hey, your visuals are not matching what we found in our, what we put in the brief.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that's a struggle for many, many, many agencies. uh, And one I've faced for years and years, and that is basically how do we keep from spending a ton of time, which also then means budget, um, but also keep kind of a pulse on the project so that we keep everything in line and keep that strategic vision going forward. So this has been solved in different ways by different companies that I've been involved in. At RightPoint, which was my previous company, we had what we called a pedal, which was a product experience design lead, and that pedal pedaled throughout the entire project, front to back, Um, making sure that those touch points um, basically stayed in line with the vision as set and the user feedback that we got in the very beginning. Here we do that through kind of weekly updates, making sure that everyone's aware of what's going on. Um, And often, frankly, it's kind of solved by collaboration here. So we work pretty fluidly together, and we snag each other at any point anybody gets hung up. So in that way, we keep touch with what's going on in the project, um, what it's looking like and can bring their attention to something they might've missed in terms of user feedback in the beginning.
0: Okay. I probably should have asked these questions, these next two questions at the beginning, but the first one is, so you are a director of user experience. Mm -hmm. So is this, is this different from a user experience designer?
1: In a lot of ways, it's no different. Okay. This so one, yeah. most days i'm sitting right next to my team doing the same things there but in other ways i would say it that is it's very different okay so my challenge to clients is usually to kind of bump them up a level in terms of their thinking that is to think more strategically either more broadly or more deeply to determine their organization's priorities and how those might be reflected on their website so in many cases <sighs> dysfunction in an organization's website simply reflects dysfunction in the organization
0: itself. Oh, I totally see that. (laughs) And we
1: need to like weed that out as soon as possible, uh, or at least find out what it is so that it, Mm -hmm. it can either be solved or flagged. Additionally, I work on our practice within FastBot and how we can better work with other teams, both within FastBot and with our clients. So that's not only managing my team members, but it's also getting things out of their way so that they can do their best work. And pushing us, frankly, to make everything we put out useful, meaningful, and dare I even say it, delightful to our clients.
0: <laughs> Great. So the next question, then, which may, like again, I should have probably ask earlier, was: so how is a user experience designer different from a visual designer?
1: Mm-hmm. There absolutely is, and frankly, should be a little bit of overlap. Okay. That that Venn diagram is not simply a circle, however. While visual design expresses the brand and the user research in aesthetics, that is typography, color, and their relationships, the user experience is all about the material that goes into those decisions, ideally. So it covers the upfront research, often called discovery in the business, what I was talking about earlier with interviews, card sorting, those sorts of activities. It also covers what we consider strategy. It also includes information architecture. And I've worked in agencies that um, where content strategy stands on its own and agencies in which it lives within UX. So that one can vary. But it also covers wireframing and prototyping. So starting to make those solid decisions about functionality.
0: Well, that I'm glad you mentioned the, the content strategy one again because I heard you say that when you answered a couple of questions earlier, you said that it was part of the UX And that's the one when I'm teaching visual design, I can't figure out where to put content strategy. (laughs) It just doesn't have a natural home. Like in the, when I'm in the process, so it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that, you know, we do it here, but other places Mm -hmm. it's, it's all over the map.
1: Well, I'd also say that frankly, it is much like UX in that it needs to be throughout the process. You need it at many different points when you're giving clients information. So frankly, it shouldn't live on its own. It shouldn't be discreet. It needs to be integrated into the whole process. This collaboration has to keep going during the whole thing.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think that's something that I, I could do a better job of as a designer, I mean, as a design educator, now that I just think about that, because if I make the student, if I hand off all the content to the students, it's like, here's the content, we're done. We never revisit to say like, oh, can we tweak this? Um, Now that we've like, you know, done this, we've done some design, we've done some research, maybe is this the best and vice versa? If I have make my students find it again, I still never like go back and revisit the content to make sure that, you know, there's some flexibility into it. So I think that's something that I need to do better.
1: One thing that I will say is that iteration is absolutely the norm. Yeah. So you're going to get client feedback, and you're going to have to ch- make some changes, and those may be changes that you think you already covered earlier in the process, but that's absolutely things that just kind of come out of the blue, and you know the client isn't quite there with you in terms of a decision you thought had been solidified earlier.
0: Yeah. So. As a director of user experience, I'm going to assume that you direct a few user experience designers. (laughs) I hate to say it. Um, Well, it was fun writing that question. But based on those experiences, what would make for a good educational background for a UX designer? So basically, how do I train these?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So some of these things, honestly, uh, certainly can be learned, but they're really hard to be taught. And those are things like listening (laughs) and empathy. And honestly, putting users first is a thing that needs to be uh, learned but is often difficult to teach. The way I learned it, I might add, is through usability testing. So I observed a ton of usability testing in my really early days when I was working at Penn State. And that really taught me the value of Empathy, listening to users. Um, I had one student during a usability test break down into tears in front of me, and that was frankly because I was sticking to the protocol maybe a little too closely, and didn't quite get the you know get on her level in terms of the empathy that was needed, because she was essentially in a password reset loop. Mm-hmm. So she kept hitting the password reset button and then clicking the email that was sent before. And I, I totally, now I totally get it, but at the time I was like, can't you see, is, is this not simple? Um, so that that listening, that empathy, understanding what a usability test is and how to run it, understanding how to apply that feedback to your work, um, those are really super key. Um, certainly user research is a big category that people can dive into to a huge extent. Um, frankly, a little bit of psychology helps, mm-hmm. a little bit of ethnography, um, but not leaning too heavily on those because you really need to listen to the users you are going to be designing for, not just people in general.
0: Yeah, when one way I tried to solve that, and I do on occasion depending on the course, is I'll actually make the students go do something like literally one of them was like okay you need to you've got a limited budget you need to go buy clothes for work and you live here how are you going to go do it and i would make them go do it that include riding buses mm-hmm. um and, and like realizing that okay i can't go to the mall in the suburbs now to get my clothes where am i going yeah for sure and i i found that really opened their, their eyes, like it made them empathize. They're like, Oh my God, this is tough. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it is a great way to like introduce make them self-introduce the project, I guess is a better way to say it mm-hmm. uh, to them. I would
1: also say that skills are, are a thing that we don't necessarily see as a continuum in the way that they are. That is digital literacy. Mm-hmm. So uh, for example, the organization for economic cooperation and development studied over 200,000 people to understand how well they could complete really simple digital tasks. 26, they found during this research, 26% of adults cannot use a computer at all. Mm -hmm. 14% couldn't figure out how to delete an email. So the, the skill level that is necessary for visual designers and UX practitioners is what they consider level three in that particular survey but that's only about 5% of the adult population. So we are that 5%. Not only are you not your user, but your user is almost guaranteed to be less skilled online than you are.
0: Oh, that, I, I'm surprised it's, that, that didn't, the percentage doesn't even surprise me. I, in fact, I would almost say, would, I would have thought it would have been higher than 25% are <laughs> essentially functionally illiterate mm-hmm. and using like you know digital devices so do you think there is a need for a distinct ux design program or in 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 design schools or is it enough for ux principles to be covered in an interactive or visual design program
1: i have seen really successful programs out there Um, that said, I've also seen really unsuccessful programs out there.
0: If you want to name the successful ones, feel free.
1: (laughs) Um, I'll, I'll keep that one to myself for now. Okay. Um, (laughs) because there's, we're having a debate right now in the industry about boot camps and Mm -hmm. kind of what, um, what methods are best for teaching UX practitioners, I feel like that's a bigger pool than I want to wade in right now.
0: Yeah, no, that that that's fair because, quite frankly, I mean, I I don't know enough either way to make an educated comment on it. But it is something that I am. There's obviously a need, mm-hmm. or they wouldn't be popping up.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But, okay. I would say off the cuff that it is um, a UX design program would be absolutely useful and but I am not sure that most traditional universities can keep up.
0: Why don't, why don't you think they could keep up? Just, I've been a
1: teacher, so yeah. I taught at Penn State for three years. Uh, it is curricula are really hard to change, uh, and that's part of it.
0: And see, that, that's, okay, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's the one thing that I'm going to argue to my death is that, yes, like submitting a new course is, it's, gonna, it's a year-long process, and you have to get buy-in from all of your faculty. So creating a new program, you're looking at least two years, full faculty buy-in. So yes, in that respect, it can't keep up, but tomorrow, I could walk in, in a, get any given course and teach whatever I wanted.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, classes absolutely <laughs> way more flexible than the curriculum
0: and so I think that's where design education needs to like really and Meredith Davis of, of NC State has already like built a program that basically did this the way everything's been renamed the way things are linked it's this 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 it's a system it's a design system that you can plug in the relevant curriculum tomorrow when something new. so I think educators could do it mm-hmm. we just haven't. <laughs>
1: Right, but that that will to do so needs to be there, and that's where we're lacking right now.
0: Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel that. Um, so, well, you know, this is, and so this is actually, I'm going to now switch back to the one comp, this is the one thing that made me actually kind of start thinking about this whole, like, is UX a potential solution? And it's one problem I currently see in student portfolios, and not just the ones that you know, where I teach, but I've been to many portfolio reviews across the country and students, there's just this real inability for them to not make design decisions um, decisions based on their own personal aesthetic. Like no matter how hard an educator tries, students will always default to designing to their own personal aesthetic. And to me, UX is... I think, and and please tell me if I'm wrong, but organically, is there a UX process or the process of UX itself um, that visual design students should be exposed to that would help them better design to the end user Mm -hmm. and not themselves?
1: I would say watching usability tests can really change minds and lives. Um, It sounds like a really simple thing, but really listening to that Users' problems as they voice them, as things are happening on the screen that they don't necessarily understand, it's huge. And it really makes you understand that as simple as you think it might be, it's not simple to everyone. And that's something you really have to start working on understanding what makes uh, an interaction or a navigation simple, uh, what kind of Frankly, what kind of things are people used to and how should you play with those but not break them to the point <laughs> that the user cannot cope with it? Uh, where, can you, where can you flex boundaries and where should you, frankly, stay in a lane so that people really can step from one step to the next without getting confused? Um, so, frankly, the, the, the usability testing observation, listening, empathy... Um, start understanding like what are the easiest sites out there to use and why is that? And start exploring that aesthetic rather than your own personal aesthetic.
0: I, I've never thought about just making them actually watch usability testing in, in real time. I, I have mm-hmm. to, I'm now going to have to find people who are, if that's already online somewhere or if people are willing to hand over some footage to make my students watch that. So. Okay, then. So the, so then the other question, this is, and so this is regards to like making a better visual designer who doesn't design for their own personal aesthetic. Um, so the suggestions that you gave, where in the evolution of a designer do you think that should be introduced? Like, should they see that like all up front first in their freshman year and then be expected to like apply it? Or should they like, you know, do it later on after they've had a you know a chance to do some design and then come back and then see you know like be experienced to that
1: on the one hand i would say most educators might be scared that you're going to kind of uh, scare them away from the industry but on the other hand restraints sometimes promote creativity so understanding kind of where the guardrails are where those users might get confused may help your students in the end rather than uh, make them worry about the potential impact of a design that they're creating. So I would tend to say as early as possible, okay. you know, maybe not like first day, first yeah. semester, but soon.
0: Yeah, well, it, it comes down to like, it's this delicate balance of like, um, to, f- I, I can't even, I, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but You need to, like, you can explain the purpose of a stop sign to somebody who's never driven before, but what when they actually get in the car and have like you know don't stop at a stop sign, (laughs) or see somebody else not stop at a stop, they understand it. They understand the purpose of it better. So I'm, I'm constantly struggling with like, when do they need theory, (laughs) versus when do they need like the practical skill before they can understand the theory in context, I guess. So that, I, that's a constant battle for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your LinkedIn profile, uh, you list out the following skill set, user research and usability and usability testing. Okay. so. Got to be mindful that Oxford comma there. So user research and usability testing, uh, including stakeholder and one on one interviews to identify target audiences needs. Um, You list out tasks and goals and then translate those tasks and goals into insights into deliverables, including wireframes, task flows, sketches. Interaction specifications site maps user scenarios mental models journey maps and prototypes So those are a lot of terms um, and I don't think most visual designers Incorporate most of those so Given that you know Like most programs are you know, like already like don't have enough time in credit hours in, in the program so of those skills that I just read off, which do you really wish visual designers had more training in?
1: I would tend to say user research and usability mm-hmm. testing just so that they understand what, where the information that UXers might be giving them is coming from. This isn't just stuff we're making up. This is stuff that we have researched and heard from users and or know about through heuristics. So those are the, like, three things that I would say to concentrate on. User research, usability testing, heuristic evaluation.
0: Okay. So I'm going to ask one other uh, thing about uh, looking at all the different skill sets. um, Can you talk about the journey map a little bit? Sure. Um, How it's used on... So you've, you've designed... I don't know if you've... Personally designed, but because you're new to you're sort of new to Fastbot, so I just mm-hmm. let the listeners know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fastbot seems to have a, a niche in education. Mm-hmm. So just using that context, what would be like a journey map for? What would that look like for an education? Incident?
1: Absolutely, this is something we do pretty often, and I would say that it uh, we do it at other companies that I've been at as well. Mm-hmm. So in some ways it replaces, and in some ways it's just a very strong pairing for the persona and that is exploring what a user might do start to finish in some task in depth. So that may be for an educational institution, the very beginning of a prospective student's uh, understanding of an institution. So I just became aware of state X university and I am interested in finding out more. So I explore the site some And I would say in a typical journey map, that student would not necessarily fill out a request for information form. That may be what we want them to do, but that is probably not not what that student is doing at that time.
0: So do you have this happen, um, the visual designer? Because I'm actually fascinated with the whole, like, the idea of, like the journey mapping and like helping the the user get to the end goal do you have this happen where like in the visual design phase where visual designers like designing something or like what happens when this button gets clicked the do they see like where like maybe like the journey like there's a dead end they're like oh wait we forgot something here does that come up a lot
1: i wouldn't say it comes up a lot but i would say that when um When designing, you often run into those things Mm -hmm. and we run into them on the wireframe side as well as the visual design side, but that's where we can check each other. And that's where we should be kind of checking each other's work to find out, hey, what happens when X or Y? Um, What if they use this drawer and then use this link? What happens? Um, So those are definitely checks that we should be working on each other with. Um, The journey map is a little earlier in the process, Mm -hmm. so that's a little bit uh, closer to kind of the user research end of things, the discovery phase, um, and it helps sets the tone set the tone for that particular um, persona, that particular type of user, so that we can reference back to it and say, Hey, you know, what's the kind of stress level for this particular person on this particular journey that they're on to complete this task? Um, if they're really stressed, we really need to make it really simple. So these pages should be should be extra stripped down. Um, whereas if this is a, an exploratory phase, we need to make it really rich.
0: Okay. Well, so we're, we're getting close to running out of time. So before I let you go, is there anything that you are working on personally or anything you're involved with that you want to promote or share?
1: I can tell you a little bit about High Ed Web. Oh, please do. Yeah, so HIAD Web is the higher education uh, conference for web professionals. It's by and for web professionals. So that's everything, the gamut from marketing folks to uh, technical programmers uh, with UX and design in there as well. So it's a great program. Um, Once a year, it moves around. Uh, It was just in Memphis uh, and next year we'll be in Hartford. Uh, And we're really excited to uh, get into the East Coast now.
0: So uh, just uh, one, I guess, so this is for, so what's the name of the organization again? Sorry. Hi, Ed Webb. So hi, Ed Webb. Um, You know, it's it's funny because I I see this, I've seen this organization before, so I'm not unfamiliar with it. And I've seen other um, like, you know, conferences for just, you know, that they're related to like Designing academic websites um, and like the whole process of how they do it, um, it's. I guess it's kind of where does design did like do designers go to these things? Because I've, mm-hmm. it's just weird that <laughs> from a design educator on campus, I have all of this happening behind the scenes, but I know absolutely nothing about it. And this thing has its own set of conferences mm-hmm. and, and it's, it seems like there's this at least for design educators, I think there's a disconnect between, mm-hmm. um, that. So do you have any recommendations for like design educators? Like what, cause you also did work at Penn State. Yep How, how should design educators be reaching out to this resource that's already on campus? Mm-hmm. Does it make sense?
1: It does. Um, so the folks that are doing these things are not, you know, nameless, faceless, you know, folks. These are actual staff uh, behind the scenes. So they might be in admissions or alumni relations or marketing or uh, lots of different places on on campus. There's a lot of folks in the library that you might not really realize that are supporting your your library's online presence behind the scenes. Um, All of those folks are super open to hearing from actual (laughs) practitioners Uh (laughs) Um, and frankly probably want your stories. In a lot of cases, they want those stories for the homepage. They want those stories for, you know, promoting something going on at the library. Um, They want to uh, show off the collections at the library to your students, things like that. So definitely get in touch with them. Uh, There's a lot there's a lot of siloing that happens in higher ed, oh yeah, and I really wish that wasn't the case so i would I would encourage all of you to go out and make friends with uh someone you may not have otherwise interacted with
0: yeah no, i'm going to now because i it just i don 't know why it just dawned on me hearing you say it, but there's an opportunity for my students to go interact with professionals across the campus absolutely <laughs> not a, not having to go across the you know. Across the city or region or or whatnot. Totally. So that's all we have time for today on episode 40 of DesignEDU Today. I want to thank today's guests, Ann Peterson, for being so generous with her time. I also want to thank FastBot for hosting the recording of this podcast. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the DesignEDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor Fastly for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases, you can follow us on Twitter at DesignEDU Today, like the Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes or Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve the show, contact me through Twitter or the show's email address at hello at Dot today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU today.